From Alachua, Florida, I'm Amrita Kaley. I'm Krishna Kishore. And I'm Namamrita. Welcome to Nectar Talks from the heart of New Raman Reiki, the largest Hare Krishna community in North America. And the home of thousands of Bhakti Yoga practitioners. In our ongoing series of live interviews, we explore a range of spiritual topics, introducing you to inspirational community members and guest speakers with diverse backgrounds and experience. Like bees searching for nectar, we seek to extract pearls of wisdom from how they live their lives and the spiritual lessons they can impart to us and our listeners. If you're seeking nectar, look no further. All right, let's get started. Hare Krishna, dear devotees, welcome back to another installment of Nectar Talks. Today I have a wonderful guest. Balavanta Prabhu is a founding member of our Nuraman Reiti community. He's also the first devotee to have joined and therefore expanded Lord Chaitanya's movement into the southeast part of the United States. He caught Srila Prabhupada's attention while running for mayor of the city of Atlanta in um, I believe that was around 1975 and was eventually asked by Srila Prabhupada to start the In God We Trust political party. He runs a successful law practice today and pilots his own company airplane called Miss Justice to and from the depositions and court appearances around the country. There's so much I'm eager to learn about today um, from Balavanta Prabhu's joining Krishna consciousness, his wonderful interactions with Srila Prabhupada, how he balances his life as a career professional and a devotee, and uh, what are his views about uh, spirituality in today's modern world. So let's get going. Bhavanta Prabhu, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Hare Krishna. Hare well. So <clears throat> when we were uh, discussing some potential themes for the interview, you you mentioned that uh, the milestones in your life were your life before becoming a devotee, becoming a devotee, and eventually moving out of temple life. So from my, what I understand, you're uh, what we call a, a Brits, right? A Brits, What's a, a boy Brit? raised in the South. <laughs> uh, I, I think it was Grits, girls raised in the South. Yeah, I, I transposed that to the boy version. Yeah, so. yeah yes. Uh, Tell me a little bit about right growing up. I was born right after World War II. Uh, happened to be born in Washington, D.C. because my dad was just out of the Army. Uh, he was a doctor, a uh, physician, and had uh, his residency uh, in Washington, D.C. So I was born there mm -hmm. in 1948. Uh, it was a, a really upbeat time in America. Uh, yeah. War was over. Uh, all the young men were back and young women were back and everyone was ebullient. I guess that's the right word. Everyone was was joyful. Joyful. Yeah. I don't remember it, of course, I, but I do have uh, fond uh, uh, impressions of uh, the early years. And I grew up in the 50s. Uh, my mom was from North Carolina. She was a nurse. And so uh, uh, we, the family moved to North Carolina where I grew up. And uh, and those were those were the 50s and early 60s were were hopeful days in America, mm -hmm. in the world in general, I, I suppose. And then uh, I went to school in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, 
And I was sort of groomed, uh, not sort of, I was being groomed to be a, a doctor, a physician like my, you know, like my dad. Okay, so your dad was a doctor. And my mom was a nurse. So uh -huh. I was being groomed for that. Um, but then uh, my dad, uh, he, he had gone to medical school in New York City. And so he had friends all over the country. And uh, North Carolina was a little provincial for, for him. So in his midlife, he had an opportunity to go to California moved to California. So he moved into the Bay Area where he had a good position. And so he wanted me to transfer to Berkeley, but unfortunately for me, I decided not to do it. In retrospect, it would probably have been a pretty good move for me, but I stayed uh, in school in Atlanta and spent my summers in California. So the first summer happened to be 1967, the summer of love. Uh -huh. My generation was a famous year, Pate Asbury and all that. Yeah, yeah, and so I was out there during that time, uh, and uh, it, California has a way of really getting under your skin. I mean, you know, especially in those days, and you you really can't it's you can't really go to California and not become a Californian at least to some extent. <laughs> right, right. So I love California. My son lives there now, but anyway, it had a big influence on me. I came back to Atlanta. How do, you, I, how, how do you define being a Californian? What are a couple of the character traits that you're referring to? Well, I've, I always find California and Californians to be very upbeat, very hopeful, very futuristic mm -hmm. in their outlook, uh, very broad-minded. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, a, there's a strong uh, Asian influence there from long, long ago, you know, the Chinese and Japanese influence, especially in Northern California. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, you know, nice. Yeah, forward-looking, optimistic, intelligent, light, kind of light-hearted in a way. I mean, life—it's there's a lot of pressure in California, uh, but but there's a kind of a lightness there too. Yeah. So Anyways, you're living in Atlanta and you're spending your summers in California. Yeah. And um, you're studying to be a doctor at the time. Yes, I was going to be a doctor, and this something in me did not fit with being a doctor. It just didn't fit. I mean, you know, I would have been happy to be a doctor and have a nice, secure income, you know, and prestige and honor for the rest of my life. But, but studying the sciences and developing the mentality of a scientist doctor just wasn't me. I yeah. mean, I suppose. But anyway, so I changed from that, which was a huge milestone in my life to you know because everything leading up to that point had been you're going to be a doctor like your dad oh yes 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 yeah. and go back to north carolina which now was closed because now the family moved to california but not be anyway so that so that didn't happen it wasn't going to happen it wasn't me and so then so now the future which was clearly defined for me at the you know initially is now it's just it's all it's fog i mean right you, there's no visibility. I don't see what's in front of me. Mm -hmm. But I go to California. I'm living kind of day to day. I go to Europe. Had some friends that were very uh, into be, you know, European things. So I took off time from school. Went to Europe, hitchhiked around. Meanwhile, the Vietnam War is raging. And, and all of us, especially people who are a little more open-minded, I suppose, or a little more hip, a little more with it, uh, we were against the war. Right. And uh, so, all, and so anyway, I became, I went to, I changed my major to philosophy 
Okay. And I uh, was really into that. I had a really good professor who eventually met Prabhupada. Um, uh -huh. And so I had, a, so I was, so I decided I was going to be a, um, I was going to teach Europe, Asian philosophy at the college okay. level. I was going to PhD in Asian philosophy. So I studied about Lord Chaitanya. I already knew wow. about Lord Chaitanya from my studies. I knew about, you know, wow. Shankaracharya, Ramanujacharya, Bhagavad Gita. I knew all that. I knew about wow. Buddhism. You know, I was into it. And I was yeah. going to go and live in a monastery, either in Thailand, uh, 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 not Thailand, Burma. I was thinking about Burma or maybe India. So I'm in California, Christmas of my senior year. I'd already met some, pe some people who had, who were sort of refugees from the New York temple. They weren't, had not lived in the temple, but they were visitors of the temple. I'd met them in the Caribbean. And so I was chanting Hare Krishna. <laughs> I was doing Buddhist meditations, reading the Upanishads, chanting Hare Krishna. So I'm in California for Christmas in my senior year, it was 1969. And I'm walking on the street in Berkeley. And uh, so I'm walking on the street and I see this, person there this devotee who's got a smile that goes from ear to ear i mean it goes from east to west I mean, it's this huge <laughs> smile and i still know him. i mean i he's still in the temple in berkeley i saw him last year we really we hugged each other i've got photographs of him. his name was hari basara mm -hmm. he's an african ancestry devotee just the sweetest guy he i'll never forget i can go back there as it was yesterday he hands me a stick of incense and says enlightenment right here in berkeley wow. i mean that was that was the perfect statement for me i mean yeah. he couldn't have fashioned a better statement i took the stick of incense he gave me a pamphlet that said join lord chaitanya's sankirtan movement and it had the shikshastika in there and i knew lord chaitanya was and so i i, I was just like i was absolutely that's so cool from from having read about it in your philosophy studies to seeing it in action right there in berkeley yeah, it was really was far. So off. exciting to discover that it was, and yeah. I read the Shikshastika, and I, you know, so hmm. I after the break was over, went back to Atlanta, and I told I had a dream. I told my roommate, I said, "Hey, I just dreamed. Remember, I told you about those people I met in Berkeley. I just had a dream that they were here on our campus. The ne that day they were on our campus, right where I dreamed they were." Wow. <laughs> and it was, it was Kirtanananda and Parmananda and, and uh, Yadunanda and maybe Ramadir. It was the, the New Vrindavan group. Right. So I walked up to them and I said, um, I said, do you have a place to stay? And they said, no. I said, well, uh, I have an apartment. You're welcome to stay there. And Kirtananda said, uh, on one condition. I said, what's that? He said, you let us cook. So, oh. <laughs> no so problem. He, so he cooked uh, uh, pota wet potatoes and chapatis, and that, that was it. I was hooked. So wow. then that's so I became a devotee because uh, I was going to go. I was going to go. I just graduated, so I was going to go to Burma for a monastery. I wanted to go for a year in a monastery to actual pra actually practice and come back and then study. You know, get a PhD. So mm -hmm. I said, well, I'll just do a year. They have a guru, you know, and, and I knew I knew enough to know what was legitimate and what was commercial. And I yeah. could say, this is legit. I could tell this is legit. This is the real thing. A little austere and, and 
you know, but that's what I wanted. It's, this is not westernized and that's what I wanted. So nice. I was just going to stay for a year. I, so I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll do it for a year and then I'll go on with my life. So a year has now been 50. <laughs> You're still there. <laughs> so this was, where did you first move into as a, a devotee? Was this still in Atlanta? Well, what happened is uh, after meeting Kirtan Ananda, I asked him to come back. He said, I'll come back if you make an engagement for me. And I got it. I went out. I, I was a social chairman in my fraternity, so I knew how to do that. So yeah. I, I, I promoted it and we had a huge turnout. It was great. And then so he invited me to come to New Vrindavan for my spring break, which I did. Uh -huh. And when I was in New Vrindavan, I met Rupanuga. And mm -hmm. Rupanuga said, I want to open a temple in Atlanta. Will you help me? said okay i'll help you because i i'm thinking okay well th this is not this is as a, i'm making a decision to spend a year i was right. going to go right. live at new vrindavan or san francisco or where but you know he wanted i said okay so mm -hmm. uh i graduated in may and he came down the next day he showed up the next day rupanuga and so we started he brought some devotees from buffalo and we started temple in atlanta that was the year that the, there was an Atlanta Pop Festival, which you're not old enough to remember, but it was, it was a Southern Woodstock and there were people okay. that went from all over the world. So it was a perfect time to open the temple there. Okay. So we opened the temple in Atlanta. Great. I didn't know that uh, you were part of uh, the Atlanta temple uh, opening as well. Let's forward a little bit and uh, tell me about when you first met Srila Prabhupada, which I believe happened in Atlanta, was that part of his first visit there? No, I first met him. Uh, he had what happened is is that in um, in August of 1970, Prabhupada left. That's a whole story. Probably mm -hmm. went back to India. Uh, I don't, I don't, uh, you may or may not know about that story. It's not a totally positive story, but he yeah, went back I'm, to I'm India. Familiar. And so. Um, Anyway, he came back. Uh, he came back from India in the spring of 1971. Mm -hmm. So, and he came to Boston. So we all went to Boston, okay. everybody from the East Coast. And so I met him for the first time there. He was eating watermelon with salt, and every legitimate Southern person eats watermelon with salt. Really? Yankees don't put salt on it. Southerners <laughs> all put salt on watermelon. I never heard of that. Oh, it just, you can't eat, guys like me, we can't eat it without salt. And so Prabhupada was eating it with salt. So I think, you know, that must have been some, so, must have been some sort of a British empire thing. Wow, that's and, interesting. Uh, and he said, uh, and uh, see, it was, um, Sunita was there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said to her, these watermelons are much better than India. <laughs> I, I remember that. And uh, he had a nice conversation. So that's the first time I met him. Okay. But uh, he did come to Atlanta on that trip on his way to Gainesville. Okay. He stopped in Atlanta airport. So that's the first. And then I had met him in those time, those in New Boston, then New York, and and so he saw me, and we, you know, we our eyes met. I didn't really have a conversation with him. Okay. But by the time when he came to Atlanta, because he had to change planes there, and he had a layover. By that time, I was president of Atlanta. So the presidents all had special access to Prabhupada in those days. Right. 
so uh, I had so I had interactions with him during that visit to Atlanta, and then and I was president, so I'd have correspondence with him, but it was distant. And then at, at one point under Amarendra's influence, who was here in Gainesville, had run for office under his influence, I said, well, I'm gonna run for mayor of Atlanta, which I didn't realize was, I mean, that's, that was a very big deal. I mean, okay. the whole world was looking at Atlanta at that point because we were black. People were running for mayor, Maynard Jackson was elected that year. But anyway, I was in that group of mm -hmm. candidates and Prabhupada, uh, that caught Prabhupada's attention. I mean, the whole, I mean, it, Walter Cronkite covered it. There's a lot of people that Wall Street Journal, there's a lot of people were covering that, but Prabhupada was also covering it. Uh -huh. so, uh, so, I, that, so at that point, I, I developed a personal relation with Prabhupada as much as anybody had a personal relationship with him. And I say personal, I don't mean friendly. Prabhupada right. was always very formal. It doesn't matter, at least that I saw. So you could be in a room with him one-on-one, -on -one, he was still the guru. You were still right. the disciple. And if you mm -hmm. thought different than that, he would teach you very quickly that that was the situation. Hmm. Interesting. So tell, tell me a little bit about those interactions that you've had with him. What, what were they about? Well, to illustrate that last point, um, I, had, I, was in, I was running for office. And so you don't run for office 12 months. So during the period of time when I was running for office, um, I went to India. We walked, all the presidents went to India. So um, we had a layover in New Delhi. And uh, so Rupanuga and I went kind of sightseeing. We went to this thing, that, this location that everybody calls the Pandu Fort. Okay. You know what that is in New Delhi? It's anyway, it's probably more of a Muslim fort, but they call it the Pandu Fort. It's a big ancient. Like a monument? No, it's a, it's a, no, it's a fort. Okay. It's a, it's the big walls and it's something like, it's like a gigantic version of the, of the Spanish fort in St. Augustine. Right, right. Okay. okay. So, so then we eventually go on to, to Mayapur where Prabhupada's waiting for us. So I don't remember how it came to be, but I was in the room with Prabhupada alone after that. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting in front of him. He's at in his desk and I'm sitting in front. And he's not saying anything. So I'm thinking, well, you know, this is uncomfortable, you know, when there's silence. Foolish me thinking that this being a not very experienced person. So I thought I need to make some conversations. So I say, I say, Prabhupada, yes, yes. We saw Pandu Fort. Probably. Oh, what we care for Pandu Fort. <laughs> I'll never forget what we care for Pandu for. We are not. And then so he saw I was shocked. It was a little silence. And he goes, we are not anthropologists. Right. I was going to say, we're not tourists here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And furthermore, don't be familiar with your spiritual master. I'm not your friend. Right. I'm your spiritual master. I'm your guru. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, that was a good, that was a good experience. Well, tell us about the... Uh... The In God We Trust Party. You were running for mayor, and, and you said that that caught Srila Prabhupada's attention. How did it come about that he he then uh, encouraged you, or the topic about actually starting a political party take place? Well, um, so 
Trump had had a very strong political side, as you know. I mean, if you read the early volumes of the Srimad Bhagavatam. He was a Gandhi follower. And... Well, he had been a Gandhi follower, but I mean, he had, he had his was a transcendental politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, he felt like that, uh, not felt like, he, he taught us that ultimately the, the government has a responsibility to see the people's, not only people's material needs, but their spiritual needs. Mm-hmm. Their spiritual needs are actually, both are important, and we may talk about that a little later. Right. But, uh, but the spiritual needs are, should not be neglected. And the government has some role to play in that. I think if you look at history, you see that that clearly is the case. Right. Uh, so, uh, so he had that side to him. So when, when uh, myself and Amarendra started it, when we began to preach his message or speak his message in the political arena, he he liked that. Mm-hmm. He, he liked he, you know he saw that as a. I mean I can't say what Prabhupada saw, but he said that that was a an important phase of the Christian consciousness movement, right? Or an aspect of. So um, so and he so we we corresponded quite a bit about this. I mean I'd mm-hmm. write him a report and he would write back and you should say this and you should say that and that, he, he gave a lot of instructions. Right, and then uh, when he would come, when he came to America, he asked me to come to be with him in New York, and we talk, and so uh, then and and so I gave him reports, and we sent him the campaign literature, and he he liked it. I mean, Prabhupada, you give a little bit of encouragement, and Prabhupada would become very enthusiastic. I mean, he would reciprocate ten times for every one time that you would do something. Yeah. So he um, he decided he, it was his, he announced at one point that he was going to step we establishing God we trust party he named it the God we trust party very American yeah actually Masonic it's originally Masonic mm-hmm. but um, so uh, and so then so and Rupin, and so Rupanuga was involved and and we had people uh, devotees in every temple. All over North America, no, not Canada, but all over the United, the United States, who were going to run for various offices. Prabhupada had organized it and coordinated it. Then it came to Prabhupada's attention that if we did this, if money, first of all, it came to his attention that was from me and Rupanuga that, you know, this these are expensive campaigns if you want to take them seriously. Right. If you just want to preach, that's one thing, but you won't get as much attention as if you actually compete. Right. But if you're going to compete, it's expensive. Yeah. You know, you've got to pay for the maintenance of the people who are doing the work. You've got to, you know, you, you need media time and all these other things. So probably begin to think about that. And then Karandar brought it to his attention that, you know, if, if we put money into this political area, we're going to lose our tax exempt status. Uh huh. So that was the end of it. Uh huh. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, however, I'm really interested in uh, how you're saying that Prabhupada had a strong political side altogether. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like overall, ISKCON has 
taken a position to be politically neutral. Um, but we see that, you know, a lot of devotees, I think, were very excited when uh, we observed Tulsi Gabbard running uh, for president in the 2020 electoral campaign. And, um, you know, I'm just thinking we, we practice Krishna consciousness thanks to this constitutional privilege. You know, there's that whole side of it as well. Um, what, uh, what do you think Prabhupada would think about us getting involved politically today, like Tulsi Gabbard, for example? Well, I can't, uh, you can't read Prabhupada's mind because he's the Acharya and, and I have no idea the depth of his thought, but I can tell you what he said. Mm -hmm. um, when he, he did visit Atlanta uh, after the campaigns were, after the Ngali Trust Party was stopped, he came to visit Atlanta. Uh, and I was there, I was temple president. And so um, I, Srutakirti was his servant at the time. And I, I asked Srutakirti, I said, I said, can I go see Prabhupada and get some clarification about, you know, what we're kind of supposed to do politically because it was such a hot item. He was so totally, and then suddenly it just stopped. And, and so I need, I'd like a little kick. I'd like to, so sure. So Sruti Kiri said, yeah, I'll ask Prabhupada. So Sruti Kiri came back to me and said, yes, Prabhupada would be happy to speak to you about this. So I go in and Prabhupada says, um, so I think, I think you, you want to continue to do, you still want to do, you want to still want to be politically active. And I said, yes, Prabhupada, but I don't want to do it unless you're enthusiastic about it. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, I'm enthusiastic. Just don't ask me for money. <laughs> so that was it. And so now I realized, and now, but at that time, I mean, I'm the temple president of Atlanta and then, then I was inducted onto the GBC. So there was no scope for it. But I knew what I, so I've always thought about it. And so uh, Prabhupada, there's no question that Prabhupada's books clearly have a political message. It's no question. There's a whole political side to Prabhupada's. Yeah. It's just that uh, ISKCON as such cannot participate in political campaigns. There's restrictions that we, on the other hand, we know that the, 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 there are many Christian groups who do participate in the, in the Christian right. Since the time of Prabhupada's entry into the political arena, since that time, they have now come into it. Mm -hmm. So I suppose, but they're, you know, we could do something like that, but they're much bigger than we are. So we're small relatively, but as long as we raise our own money, certainly, and so I think that would do, I think Prabhupada would be pleased that one of the devotees, Tulsi Gabbard, became elected to the US Congress. I think Prabhupada would be thrilled. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, thanks for sharing that. It's definitely an interesting topic. Um, I want to get back to your, um, the chronology of your life a little bit. So you, you, you've done a lot of services throughout the years for the movement. You were a, an active GBC for many years. I think that that started in the in the 70s. Um, and um, you also eventually made your way to Alachua and you were a pioneer in developing this community as well. Can we talk a little bit 
about that. I, I really actually want, it was actually a recommendation by one of our community members that because we're a, a, an Alachua based podcast, we should uh, explore our community a little bit with our guests and, um, you know, learn about it. Of course, we did a whole community development initiative a couple of years ago, but yeah, I like the idea of discussing how it's grown and how we can keep improving this community. So maybe just tell us a little bit about your involvement in the early days here at Nuraman Reiti. I know it, it started in Gainesville and your friend Amarendra Prabhu was part of that as well. Well, Amarendra started the temple uh, here in Gainesville. I mean, it was a preaching center initially. He, he was a student at University of Florida mm -hmm. and a devotee. Uh, so when I uh, was inducted onto the GBC in the 1970s, I was, became the GBC for Southeastern United States, which included Florida. Mm -hmm. So Gainesville was was one of my one of ten, was a temple in the zone that I was responsible for. So I visit here regularly. Um, uh, that's Amarendra was the president, and Amarendra uh, went to law school, which caused a vacancy here. Um, and so I had to spend a little more time in Gainesville because of that. Okay. Uh, but before Amarendra left, he bought he purchased this farm. Because that was a period of time when Prabhupada was uh, encouraging the devotees to develop farm communities. Uh -huh. So Amarendra had uh, he had um, managed well and had extra money in the treasury, and so he he purchased the farm. And actually, the farm the closing happened on the day of Prabhupada's disappearance. Mm. Coincidentally, obviously, it wasn't planned that way. Yeah. So, uh, and I was a GBC, so, and so, um, and we, so we had the, the preaching center, we had a, a temple in Gainesville, we had the farm. There wasn't a lot going on on the farm, there was some. Uh, after Amrinda left, uh, we, the, the income was reduced, the income went down, and we couldn't keep both. We couldn't afford to have this temple in Gainesville and the farm also. Okay. So we had to decide what to do. So we decided to, the, the temple that we had was a wonderful place, but it was a little bit distant from campus. So we decided to get a place close to campus for a preaching center, which would be less expensive. Right. We actually rented it at that point and then and moved the deities to the farm, okay. which is what we did. Uh, very controversial at the time, highly criticized. And legitimately so. I mean, people had a legitimate opinion that that was not a very smart thing to do. Okay. Uh, but I was, yeah, we did it. That's what we decided to do. Uh, not long after that, what had happened is that um, before Prabhupada left, Rupanuga had written to Prabhupada that he was wanted to go to law school. Amarendra was the first to have gone to law school. Rupanuga wrote that he wanted to go to law school. Prabhupada said, Prabhupada agreed to that. Rupanuga had, had uh, become a grihasta from having been a sannyas. And so he, he wanted to go to law school. Uh, and so Prabhupada approved it. Then, then Rupanuga made a roster of people to go to law school, which was basically the old and God we trust party. All the, a lot of the prominent temple presidents he sent to Prabhupada. And Prabhupada wrote back, not that all of our men should go to law school, but my name happened to be on the list. So he said, but on Balavanta's case, I can understand that he wants to do it for political reasons. So for that purpose, it is, it is okay. I, he, uh -huh. It's okay. Uh -huh. So he approved it. So after Prabhupada left, you know, 
I thought I was a lifelong GBC. I mean, I just thought that was going to be my, but for lots of reasons that that wasn't working out. So I went to law school, University of Florida here. Okay. But, but being absorbed in law school was hard to be really active in the management of the movement. And so uh, after I got out of law school, my grandfather had been a lawyer and my uncle took over his firm and my uncle wanted me to take over that firm. So I went to, I went away from here up to uh, in Tennessee where that firm was located and, and joined that firm. And I stayed there for a number of years, stayed on the GBC. And I was the chairman of the GBC in 1986, I believe it was, when the whole guru thing sort of came to a head. Uh -huh. And uh, so at that point, I decided I wanted to go back, be closer. I wanted to be closer to a temple because we had no temple where I was living. We had a small group of people, devotees there. and We had a preaching center, but no established temple. So anyway, long story short, we moved back. We moved, my wife and my two children and I moved here. But I got an offer for, I got an offer for a good position in Daytona Beach. Okay. And we were going to, we were going to live in Daytona Beach and spend our weekends here to be around the devotees. But Balavi insisted that she wanted to raise her children in the Gurukula, wanted to be around the devotees, wanted to be near the deities. So we bought a farm near the temple here in 1988 and i commuted to daytona beach which was crazy but i've been doing it ever since but yeah so that's how you kind of got established here in alatra tell me a little bit about how you've observed the community develop from then until now and what are some thoughts of how we're doing as a community do you think there's further important developments that should be considered for their, our temple here? Well, I for think us, for us next generations, what should we be focusing on? Sometimes I say that my, uh, my, the most important, the, the smartest thing I ever did was move into Hare Krishna temple. And the second smartest thing I ever did was move out of the Hare Krishna temple. <laughs> and, and I, I get that. I, I, I think, uh, I think Alachua is a symbol or a, um, a manifestation of a, of the of a, of the transition of Lord Chaitanya's movement in the Western countries from phase one to phase two, hmm. and uh, and I think that's why Alachua was successful. I mean, we we had a we had a, a temple model when Prabhupada was with us, right? Physically, and that carried over for a number of years after he left. And to some extent, it still exists. That model still exists around yes. North America and around the world. And, and I am not one to ever say that that model is not a valid model, that it's not a functional model. It is. But, but, there, there has, but it has to broaden. Yeah. It, it, has to be, it has to expand to accommodate people who either can't or don't want to, or that model is not suitable for. So that model, that original communal model can exist, but it needs to exist within a larger universe. And I think Alachua is the beginning of the expansion of Lord Chaitanya's movement into that larger universe. And I think that's why Alachua has been successful because there are 
there are people like me, I'm one of them, who cannot function well in a highly structured communal environment. I can't do it. Right. I need freedom. I need right. freedom of thought. I need freedom of action. I need um, I need autonomy. You know, I need I need to be able to live within a family structure. I need to be able to support my family, my children, my grandchildren. I need my own integrity. You know, I need yeah. in order to be strong. I have to have that. And I right. think a lot of people are like that. And Alachua affords that. Before Alachua, there were plenty of what we used to call independent grihastas, almost with a sneer. <laughs> Sometimes fringies. There were so many disparaging. Right. And so they have such people are always existed from the very beginning, but they had to live in a, they had to live sort of outside of a existing temple, which was the standard. And they right. were people who have failed the standard or you know, they were second classes. Alashua, the, the Alashua is a different model and that, and that such persons have a legitimacy and they have, you know, they're able to practice Krishna consciousness. They're able to have dignity <laughs> and self-esteem uh, in this community while maintaining their, their freedom of thought and freedom of action. And I think that's why people move here. Otherwise, it's, it's probably defined as a remote corner of the, of the planet, far away from the place of Lord Chaitanya's birth. I mean, Florida is a nice place. I mean, it has that. I mean, North Florida is a great place. I love it. You know, we're near the ocean. We're near the springs. We're the rivers, the water, nice climate, a lot of oak trees and all this stuff. But it's not, and those things are all good, but that's not what has made it successful. What's made it successful is a model where, where people can and, sh and feel like they are doing what they're supposed to do, and still they, they can be strong in that environment. There's a freedom here. Yeah, ah, excellent. I, I really like this way of framing it w with models. You know, it's not that we're compromising any part of uh, Shil Prabhupada's establishment, the philosophy, but to understand that there are different models that suit, you know, the current times or different personalities and kind of look at it from that framework, I think is really, really healthy. Thank you for that. Well, it's not, it's not me. I mean, I, I'm just really repeating, you know, th this discussion about the, the different ways to live in the material world while advancing spiritually. I mean, the whole point is to, to, to love Krishna, to know and love Krishna, God. To know and love God is the whole point. But yeah. at the same time, we have to fulfill our material and with Christian says, without work, can't even maintain your body. So we all have our work that we have to do. So this discussion of how to live in the material world while developing your knowledge and love of God is a, is a, is a millennia old discussion. Yeah. And in our, in our time, the discussion took place initially between, of course, and Lord Chaitanya, Lord Chaitanya was in the renunciate model. He and his followers. So it's perfectly legitimate. He set the standard. But he, 
But then Bhakti, Bhakti Vinod and Bhakti Siddhanta had this discussion. And Bhakti Vinod was living in the more of the Alachua model, or we're Alachua is more the Bhakti Vinod model. Right. And so then there's the Bhakti Siddhanta model of renunciation, mm-hmm. following the footsteps of Lord Chaitanya. All right. And Prabhupada came as a sannyasi under Bhakti Siddhanta's order, and yet he had the history of being a he had the history of being a grihasta, you know, yeah. and it was it was certainly an advanced pure devotee as a grihasta. So Prabhupada kind of, you know, if you read his books, you can you can find both currents mm-hmm. in that river of Prabhupada's teaching, mm, that's and and they're both legitimate. Like what as you're saying, it's a matter of I mean if, but if you but if you're going to be in this current, you have to live in this way. If you're going to be in that current, you have to live in that way. You can't mix them very well. Right. I mean, there's some grihastas, I probably used to say, if you're going to live in the temple, you have to go on Sankirtan. Every day you have to go on Sankirtan, unless you're an essential devotee. So, but it's not like you can say, oh, well, I I don't have to work because I'm a Brahmin. I'm beyond that. Well, what do you do? Do you go on Sankirtan? No, I don't go on Sankirtan. What do you do? You do essential temple devotee? No, I don't do that. That's not a very healthy life. Right. Yeah. So I think this is a great way to get into some of your your life as a, a career professional. It's amazing that it actually, you know, you started off in uh, the medical arena, then uh, you realized that didn't work. You got into philosophy and that just kind of blossomed into uh entering the life of Krishna consciousness and then Srila Prabhupada approved for you to become to go to law school um, and now you have this uh, successful practice um, and I believe you even employ some devotees I'd love to just learn a little bit about your uh, your life as a lawyer here in the south um, you know maybe tell us a little about about your organizational structure how you put this thing together and uh, maybe even an example of one of the big uh, cases that you've you've worked. Well, uh, I'll, yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. I, you know, law for me has been a, a tremendous blessing. It's given me um, a place to land. Because we're both pilots, right? So you're 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 in the air in your airplane. Eventually, you have to land. So you've right. got to have an airport. Right. So law practice for me was the airport where I landed back in the material world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I feel like I've come back in the material world, but I've brought, but it, but I haven't brought, but but Prabhupada and Lord Chaitanya have, are still with me. Right. And so, I mean, I had to have a, especially the Grihasta, you have to have a place to land. You've got to have an yeah. identity. Yeah, maybe, let me just backtrack a tiny bit. You know, you were saying how, one of the best decisions was to join the movement and then the next one was to well not leave the movement but you kind of left temple life can you start with that was it like a a particular you know event or an epiphany that made you realize i got to do this how did that start uh well uh it it wasn't it it took it took a number of years Mm -hmm. um to evolve after Prabhupada left, things were quite different, and, and he, you know, and uh, 
and my family, uh, my family was growing. I mean, I, ha I had a daughter and she was growing up and, um, and uh, we wanted, we were going to have more children. So I needed some mean, I knew I needed some means of livelihood and, and I, and I, uh, I, I what, it didn't feel healthy to me being completely separated from the larger society. Right. I mean, when I mean the larger society, you know, America and the modern world yeah. that I was born into, it didn't feel healthy for me not to have a place there. So, um, and so, you know, uh, having been um, assigned legal type work on the GBC, I was, every time it was a legal thing that had to be done or some type of spokesman for the GBC, they would tap me to do it. Uh -huh. So, so it turns out it was kind of natural for me. Right. Um, and then meanwhile, with the, after Prabhupada left and the gurus and then the farm projects, farm projects were taking money from the book distribution. Farm projects were not inexpensive. They were expensive mm -hmm. projects. I had that conversation with Prabhupada. It's not a matter, but and so there was a lot of politics that was that were developing in Atlanta because of the of the far, the expense of the farm versus the book distribution at City Temple. And so by Krishna's grace, it just became, you know, it was like I just could see this is not, I need, I, you know, it's time for me, it's time for me to 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 go to law school. And I I originally thought I was going to go to law school as a basis for running for office, which is another reason I went to Tennessee because I had a I had my family has a is a some political is a they have a some political pos, uh, status there okay. been there a long time and been active in politics. So I was going to run for office, and so my uh, my uncle introduced me to the chairman. They were Republicans, and introduced me to the chairman of the Republican Party there. And he said, "This is my nephew, and he wants to run for office." He said, "Good, we need good young men." And the party and you know uh, so we went on and he said this is what you do and this is how you do it mm -hmm. so and so he was afraid to leave my uncle said to him so bill tell him tell him he said tell me what he said tell him i said okay well for the last 10 years i've been in the Hare krishna movement <laughs> he goes oh what now <laughs> well, he says well that won't be a problem. All you have to do is join one of the local churches and make a public statement about the how you made a mistake, but now you found <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and thank God Jesus has saved you from that terrible mistake. I said, I can't do that. He said, well, forget about it. But you can't. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So, so I did run for office here once, uh, ran for state legislature. I didn't win, but it was, it was good. The voters were very supportive, and uh, we did get a lot of votes. Of course, yeah. I ran as a Democrat, which means you would get quite a bit, few votes just on that basis. So, uh, so yeah, anyway, so I, I was, I was trying happened. to see, you know, what was the original impetus for you to really start a law practice and kind of like, you know, separate yourself from your, your previous lifestyle? Well, it was for, it was for politics. You remember Prabhupada said, just don't ask me for money. Right. So I was thinking that way. And then yeah. also I wanted, you know, I, I, I wanted, I, I, the other thing that was obvious to me, it was, it would be to anybody that 
this program of collecting money on, you know, from the public, uh, often by fraudulent means, right. that wasn't going to work. Right. It, that was not a long-term economic base. It wasn't going to work. Right. So uh, there was a lot of discussion at the GBC level in those days about what should be done. Yeah. And I felt then and have always felt and still believe that a, uh, an economic base of grihastas working uh, legitimately, honestly, uh, in the material world, which means, you know, material work in the material world means producing, you know, housing for, to keep us out of the rain, food, and all the things that we need to maintain these bodies. Grihastas doing that and giving a portion of their income to the temple, that is the economic base. And so I wanted to participate in that. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so tell me about your firm. You have a couple of offices, from what I understand. How many people do you employ? And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about the structure. You know, some, a lot of our community members may not, not know too much about your professional background. It's a small firm. I, I, when I got to the University of Florida, um, I, had the, uh, I did pretty well in law school. did real well because uh, from the very beginning, I felt like that I had to dovetail what I was doing with Krishna consciousness, Prophet's teachings. So I believed in what I was doing. I mean, I, there were, there, there's a lot in Prophet's teachings that is applicable to any profession. And I pulled that into my profession as a lawyer, which was very helpful to me. So I did really well in law school and I was offered jobs in big firms. But, but in my, the one firm I was offered, I thought about was in Miami. And then they gave me a list of their clients. And one of them was Burger King, hmm. national chain Burger King. I said, man, I can't do that. So, and then, so then I went with my uncle and, but my uncle, his practice was, he spent a lot of time getting clients going to, he would go to, there was a, there, in those days there were big restaurants and the big restaurants had bars. And he would meet his people at the bars. And he was just, uh, he had a whole network of clients and people that supported him. But they related to each other through alcohol and meat. And mm -hmm. the, it just was incompatible. Yeah. And then I met, I met someone uh, who did, um, I, my uncle referred me, a cat, he had it some, some automobile cases where people were injured in automobile accidents. Yeah. And so that, and I did that. And Narayan Prabhu, there was some Sankirtan devotees that got in an automobile accident in um, Alabama. He referred that, Narayan referred me that case. Mm -hmm. And that, that was very compatible because I, was I wasn't having to deal with the corporate world and the people that I disapproved of. I was dealing with individuals who had been legitimately harmed in the system and were entitled to compensation. The way I looked at it is that if you harm somebody and you compensate them, the karma of harming them is neutralized. Yeah. In other words, if I, if I drive my car through a red light and I hurt you, so I can't undo the hurt, but you're, I'm going to get hurt in the next life. But if I pay you compensation, somehow it's neutralized. So it's justice. So I said, this is someplace I could fit. So I did fit into that. I started doing that practice. My uncle farmed me out to a lawyer who specialized in that field. Mm -hmm. And then I had some friends from law school who were doing that type of work. And that's 
they invited me to come join their firm in Daytona, which is how I got here. So, and then uh, I've taken over that firm. I mean, I, I have, we've, we've kind of went our separate ways, but I kept, you know, my share of that firm. Right. So that's yes. what I do. And yes. uh, because I have the history in medical, I still have that. I mean, I, I grew up with that. Mm-hmm. So I have a, I, I have good instincts in the medical field. So I, I represent patients in the medical, in the medical field. If someone is injured in a hospital or by a doctor, I represent them. Yeah. And then I also uh, represent people who, uh, for a, a big part of my practice is representing people who get, who uh, were victims of the tobacco industry, mm-hmm. cigarette industry. Yeah. Um, and so, and so I, and so I sue tobacco companies on behalf of families of smokers who wow. have died from lung cancer because they were recruited and groomed as 12 and 13 year olds to become addicted to cigarettes and get lung cancer. What do you mean by recruited and groomed? Well, there's, uh, we have uh, very solid evidence that the tobacco companies all along from the 30s and 40s and all, right up through the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s deliberately groomed 10, 11, 12, 13 year olds to become smokers. They, and they deliberately, they did things like they would go to elementary schools and hand out free cigarettes. Really? Yeah. Looking for the leaders that they had, they were psychologically, they were trained by psychologists to identify on the playground, the leaders. Wow. And they would go to those leaders when they got out of school, giving them free cigarettes, get them smoking as role models for the others. And they, and they regularly surveyed junior high schools and high schools to see what percentage of people were beginning to smoke at that age. Because they knew that if they didn't get them before they're 18, they wouldn't get them. They had to get them addicted before they were 18, because after 18, very few sane people take up the habit of smoking. And they knew they were addicted. They denied it. They knew they caused lung cancer, and they spent millions of dollars denying it, recruiting doctors. They had the AMA behind them. It's just so all this dovetails perfectly, in my view, with Proverbs philosophy. It's, wow. a, it's, a, it's a sinful industry. And, That's amazing. And they make billions and trillions of dollars. So we sue them. And, uh, have, and have, so, you, have you won cases yeah. against some of these major tobacco companies? Oh, yeah. I've won. Uh, I've, I've tried now three cases and uh, won each one for more than a million. I won one in um, Orlando two years ago for 16 million. Wow. And, uh, and so it was appealed. For, for, is this for a, like an individual family or is it yeah. what you, you would call a class action? Type no, of no. One individual family, punitive damages. Yeah. The jury, after they heard all the evidence that you just heard that they, when they heard that stuff, they were so angry. Yeah. And the, and the form of the jury called me later and said, we really wanted to give a hundred million, but we thought you couldn't hold that in on appeal. So we, we, we all argued with each other and the very rock bottom 
that we would give is 16 million. And even that's so high, it's in the Florida Supreme Court right now. It's, wow. uh, it, it was um, tagged as a case of great public importance. And so it's gone to the Florida Supreme Court because the tobacco companies are arguing it's unfair, you're punishing us too much. And these guys, they, make, they made 16 million during the course of that two week trial. Wow. So anyway, that's amazing. That's what I do. And, but I've, I've been really blessed that I can dovetail what I am doing in the material world with Prabhupada's teachings. And I would say this to anybody that, that you have to do that to all the devotees. You, got, you have to find a profession that's compatible with yourself as a devotee. And then you have to do that profession as devotional service. You have to adjust. And, and you can say, well, you know, how is, uh, you know, flying an airplane devotional service? But it is devotional service because Krishna's, part of Krishna's job is to manage this material world. And right. part of managing this material world is providing travel services for people. So you're doing it. Yeah. And, and I and really so appreciate what you're saying of, you know, like you could have um, worked for a firm whose client was Burger King, but, but you made that ethical adjustment so that it could be in line with Krishna consciousness. So I, I think that's a fine point, you know, that you can exercise the same profession in a way that it is Krishna conscious or in a way that's not Krishna conscious. And you have to have the ability to recognize, you know, how do I align this properly with, with Srila Prabhupada? So I appreciate how you've um, exemplified that. Well, thank you for that. That has been a great blessing for me. I would never have been happy representing Burger King. Yeah, right. You know, Obviously. Make money at it. You know, and I don't know that it would have been sinful. I mean, I wouldn't be, you know, making meat, but I just don't want to be associated with those people. I want right. to be associated with something that I can believe in. Yeah. And, you know, that, that a tobacco company should have to pay for deliberately recruiting a child to use an addictive, deadly product, I can believe in that. Yeah, I mean, when you mentioned that at first, I'm thinking the typical advertising that we see. I had no idea to what depth they were recruiting, as you said. That's uh, that's pretty uh, pretty enlightening on how certain industries work. Well, it's both. I mean, that when they went to the grade schools to recruit people, now to be fair to them. That didn't happen in the 1980s. That's what they did. That was in the 1930s and 40s and back in that period. Yeah. But yeah. the 1980s, they had Joe Camel and they, and they deliver, I mean, they, they're so sophisticated that they know when they go on and say, smoking is an adult, smoking is a practice of an adult. Don't smoke until you're 18. And even then, they know that what what a 14-year-old, 13-year-old yeah, reverse is, psychology. He's <laughs> reverse psychology. Right. They know they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate how you were um, describing how your career as a lawyer intersects with your life as a devotee. Have there ever been any issues that were raised for you over the years in in doing that? And um do you have any significant realizations in how you've maybe run into a bit of an obstacle in trying to make the two work and have you gotten through it? 
Yeah, there there have been a lot. Um, I used to go when I was when I was younger. You know, you know, now I'm old, so I you know I can do whatever I want. But when I was in my 30s and 40s, the older lawyers were pretty, were in charge of the world, and I compromised a little bit. I'd go to lunch with them. I you know obviously wouldn't eat meat, but I'd sit down with them and. You know, they would eat their meat, and I would eat my salad. I would, I, I, I don't, I don't think you have to do that. Especially now that veganism is so widely accepted. Yeah. And the other thing is, it's been a little hard for me because the two worlds are different. I mean, you know, Alachua is a broader community than the old temple communities used to be. Right, but there's a still a certain inconsistency or incompatibility between devotee life and the life of a lawyer or a pilot in the material world, right. and bridging that gap is not easy sometimes. Yeah, and so and so when I come back here on the weekends with my wife and all my friends, you know, I'm Balavantas, right. and, I, and that, that all that goes with that. And yeah, then I get up yeah. Monday morning, but, 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 you know, Balavanta doesn't make any money. He just spends money. <laughs> so, so then I have to go on Monday and be William Ogle. Right. William Ogle makes money. And so sometimes it's balancing that. And, but we had the dual personality thing going. I can relate with that. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I Is always that something do... that you think it's just part of, being a devotee or is there a way to merge the two where we don't feel so much that yeah i'm i got the balavanta and i got the bill ogle two personalities well i always chant my rounds uh-huh so i get up in the morning early and so I, that is a fundamental that doesn't change chant mm. my rounds and uh and i think you know of course none of us we're all vegetarians and we follow everything that probably told us as best we can um but here, I'll tell a quick story. When I was a child, my father used to take me around the mountains to cemeteries. In the mount, back in the mountains where our ancestors came from, they had these cemeteries. And he would point out, you see that grave? Person died at eight years old. See that grave? Died at 15 years old. Died at, you know, so these people, that plagues would come through. There would be exposures. He said, we should never forget how these pioneers suffered and sacrificed so we could have what we have today. Mm. So yes. we're the pioneers of, of, this, of Lord Chaitanya's world. <laughs> Lord Chaitanya's world is, is it's, it's born, it's growing, it's going to manifest, it's going to, it's going to counteract the ill effects of Kali Yuga at least for a period of time enough where the good souls will be saved. But we're pioneers in that. Yeah. And so there's going to be certain, you know, sufferings and challenges involved. And, and but in my life, Krishna has protected me at every step as long as I agree to follow what he, if ever I ask him what I should do, he tells me what to do. It's really clear. Mm. <laughs> it may not always be what I want to do. But he tells well, me what I, what I should do. And as long as I do that, I'm, he protects me. Yeah. 
And I'm sure that's true. Yeah, I, I appreciate your point that we're we're still pioneers. There, there's still um, adjustments to be made. Um, just developing our expertise, our language, our dialogue, our models. These are all uh, really good points that you're making. Um, there was recently a code of ethical behavior that passed as a, a new ESCON GBC policy. Are there any, um, and I've, I find it really encouraging to see something like that. Are there any such policies or just kind of resolutions for our society that you, you see as important that uh, still have to be put into place? Well, I, you know, I've, I know that the, that GBC, the GBC did pass those, and, I, and I'm also very encouraged by that. And I, I have a copy of them, but I haven't studied them, so I can't really comment on those specific ones, but I do want to study them. And, 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 uh, and I want, but I think it's, it's really important to have a standard that, that you can follow. Because, I mean, as we said, you know, you can turn to Krishna, but we're all at very, very, varying levels of advancement in Krishna consciousness. Right. And sometimes we, some people or some of us at different times <coughs> can hear Krishna more clearly than others. And sometimes we are able to follow him better than others. <coughs> but if we have an objective standard that we can look to, uh, and and mold and and mold our lives. That is critically important. Just like you know, we say no meat, fish, or eggs. So I mean, I'm, that's the rule. And so having that rule makes it a lot easier to follow, rather than trying to figure out. Well, you know, what is it? You know, right? Yeah, really. So we have that rule. It's real clear. Mm -hmm. And so even if we don't. Even if we can't follow it strictly at all times, at least we know what the standard is. Yeah. And I think that's critically important. So, and it's true for ethics too. I mean, there's, I mean, yeah. we should be, we should, we should, we should earn our livelihood. We should function in the material world very ethically and morally. Right. That's expected of us. Lord Chaitanya used to say, lead a moral life and chant the holy names. Hmm. Um, you mentioned that you're working on a potential book called Modern Spirituality. Can you tell me about, uh, and I, I'm, I'm starting to sense that your, your whole life experience as a devotee professionally has brought a lot of insight into this, uh, this concept of modern spirituality. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, what, what, what are your goals with this, uh, this potential work and what's the motivation exactly? Well, I just, I want to express something that I've seen and deeply believe in my lifetime, which is that first of all, uh, life, the, the, the modern civilization has taken that material life is everything. And if you just have everything material, you'll be fine. And this is, that's just fundamentally wrong. It's absolutely fundamentally wrong. That right. you've got, every human being has got to have spirituality. We have to have a connection with spirit because we are spirit. 
Mm -hmm. And Krishna is the supreme spirit, but you know, you can call God, Allah, you, whatever, whatever uh, framework you want to use, you have to make yeah. a connection to spirit if you're going to be at all happy or at all sane. And so right. the modern world is going away from that because they think, well, you know, a lot of these stories in the Bible, they're clearly proven not to be true. And the earth is not the center of the universe and the earth wasn't. So, so there, the traditional paths of spirituality are not compatible, increasingly, they're not compatible with the modern world. Like, you know, if God is all good and God is all powerful, why is there evil in the world? Why is there evil? Why do people suffer? Why, why did God, what, what is God doing to us? So, but Lord Chaitanya, he, if you read, read the teachings to the Lord, uh, to Sanatana Goswami, to Rupa Swami, Lord Chaitanya was a great Brahmin, Supreme Person of God, but also a great Brahmin. And he extracted the essence of the Vedas and he taught it and he put it into the Sankirtan movement. And it is totally compatible with the modern world. It's totally, and we're proving it. You're proving it. <laughs> You're an airline pilot and you have full blown spirituality as an airline pilot for American Airlines. Right. Compatible with my, your intelligent, educated young man. It's compatible. I mean, there, there are plenty of, of educated, you know, relatively educated young people who are Christians and Jews and Muslims and all that, but they're not finding compatibility with the modern world and those traditions. And so they're, they're disturbed by that. Right. But, but we're finding it. I mean, we haven't found it yet, but we're, you know, completely, but we're finding it. And, yeah. the, and the more we get into it, the more we're going to be able to do it. And I think that, so I, in my view, what Prabhupada brought to us, which was Lord Chaitanya's message, is the message for the modern world to bring us all to spiritual. That's Lord Chaitanya's mission. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I agree that in in Lord Chaitanya's movement, we're we're given the tools to figure this out, and uh, I often run into the, uh, I guess it's you know the current day dilemma of people just being turned off by religion. They don't like the word even. They don't like the word God. It's you know they have to go to I'm spiritual but not religious. All these things, and it's um, I think it's because they haven't been taught exactly that how this can be part of their daily life it's part of every activity it, it doesn't have to be you know just the ritualistic sides of i i gotta go to church or or i gotta follow these rules you know it's really that's the beauty of bhakti um that it's it's in it's an action it's a change of heart you don't have to change your life you just change your heart so yeah thank you that's uh that's really a nice, um, you know, an important realization that you're trying to push forward. Well, Prabhu, is there anything else that you want to share with us? This was really wonderful. I appreciate everything that you've shared with us um, from your, your background, your wonderful services in Krishna consciousness, how you've managed to incorporate this uh philosophy into your your practical life and career 
to me, you've, you've been uh, an example. You know, I really look up to you because of how you've managed to do these things. And like you showed me, you showed us on the screen, your, your Japa beads, your, you still keep chanting every day. And <laughs> that's the lifeline we should never let go of that can keep us connected no matter what our situation is. I, I really appreciate that as well. Well, it's very kind of you to say, and I, I can say that I am very encouraged and enthused and inspired and happy to see um, yourself and others um, like you and in Alachua and all over the world who are seriously um, following and as probably you say, taking up this Hare Krishna movement. It's, it's so important and uh, to see that is, you know, you'll see when you get old, like me, and you see young people who are doing what you believe should be done, it's very, uh, very heartwarming to see. Well, I certainly, I can become old the way you have, Prabhu. <laughs> <laughs> You're full of so much energy and, and passion and dedication to, to keep serving Srila Prabhupada and get this beautiful Krishna consciousness out there to everyone, so... Thanks again. All right. And uh, Thank hopefully you so we'll much. see you around the temple. Hi. Very well. Hi.